Now, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 22. And this is, um, for context, this is where Moses is uh, talking with God, and God is uh, has a appeared to him as speaking to him out of a bush that is on fire but is not burning up. And God is calling him uh, to go to rescue uh, the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. And um, Moses is not so sure he wants this job, but so be it. This is Exodus three sixteen to 22. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for uh, the way that you do know about what uh, your people are going through. We thank you for caring about what they're going uh, through, and we thank you for being a God who acts on your people's behalf. And God, we do pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your word which you have given to us that reminds us of who you are, that uh, corrects us when we think of you uh, wrongly. God, help us to come to know you better, even as we hear your word read and proclaimed today. God, that as we come to know you better, that we would uh, worship you in spirit and in truth, and we would be formed by your word and by your spirit to be the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 22. Go, this is uh, God talking to Moses. He says, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your, minis- out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any, and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Turning into our gospel reading, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And this is immediately following uh, the transfiguration where Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And they see him in glory. Then picking up in verse 14, they come down the mountain. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, 
I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we are continuing in our um, sermon series through the book of Revelation, uh, we have already seen the way in which uh, John who is in exile on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, as he puts it, um, has already seen and heard um, some amazing things. And where we are in the, in the flow of things at this point is that Jesus, who has appeared uh, gloriously to John, now has messages for seven churches. And last week we looked at the first of those, which is the church in Ephesus. This week we're looking at the church in uh, Smyrna. And as I mentioned before, uh, if you look at a map, it makes sense as to why you would go in this particular order for these particular churches. And no, I did not bring a map for you once again. So you have to look that up on your own. Um, But before we get into this letter to Smyrna, I have to tell you about one of um, one of my game, one of my favorite games to play with kids. Um, and this is it's actually like a game that you can buy in a box. It's called Instructures. Has anybody ever played Instructures? No, nobody. Well, you're welcome. Okay, so <laughs> this is this is a great game. So the the way that it works is you've got a lot of little wooden blocks and um, And then there are these cards, and there's a picture on the card of the blocks assembled in a certain structure. And and then what you do is you have two people. One person is looking at the card. The other person is building the structure. And so you're trying to explain, here's how to build it. And the other person is listening and trying to follow your instructions and build it correctly. Doesn't that sound fun? (laughs) I think, I think you guys are misunderstanding. You're thinking about how it goes when a husband and wife tries to uh, assemble Ikea furniture. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. This is, 
this is a game, and it's just these small little things. Where it's like, okay, now you take the big uh, rectangle block, and you lay it down on its side. And now you put the cylinder on top of it, but over on the right side. No, 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 the other, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then when you get finished, then you check and you see how close did you get. Now, here's where it gets really fun, is you can, like, that's just the simple version. But there's actually two sets of blocks, because it's supposed to be kind of a competition thing. So you're a team, and you're calling out things to um, your person who's supposed to be building the structure. But there's another team that has the exact same instructions, and they are also supposed to be building the exact same structure. But they're probably explaining it differently. (laughs) And so as uh, you are racing to get your structure built, you're also hearing all these other instructions that don't make sense with what you're doing. You're looking at what they're making, and you're going, I don't know, mine doesn't look like that. This is where it gets fun. So anyway, and the reason I bring this up uh, is not just to tell you about a game that you should have known about and you didn't for some reason, but now you do. Uh, The reason I bring this up is one of the reasons I love the game is because of what a great uh, kind of parable it is for what it's like as a Christian to be living life where you're trying to build something, trying to build a life, build um, the kingdom of God, and yet there are all these other voices that we're hearing. And we see other people who are building things different than what we're building. And we look at that and we go, I don't know. Am I doing this right? Maybe I should just, maybe I should listen to that guy. Maybe I should follow what she's building. And so there's this constant temptation, even when we know that this is what our partner is saying. <laughs> there's a temptation to stop listening to the one who's telling us how to build and to start listening uh, to somebody else or to copy what somebody else is making. And, um, and this is where this gets us to the, uh, the letter, the, the message that Jesus has to the church in Smyrna. Okay. Here it is. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will, be, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. As with most passages in Revelation, if you catch all the references, it's really powerful. And if you don't catch all the references, it's really confusing. So, anybody catch all the references? Uh, the primary place to go when trying to figure out what in the world this could possibly mean is, of course, the rest of the Bible. And this is the thing I keep saying, is that the book of Revelation is the 66th book of the Bible uh, for a reason, and that's because it's got 65 prerequisites. Like, if we're not really familiar with the other 65, we'll end up making a mess of this one. And... This, again, is just every line is pointing us back to things that we have seen before. 
Um, so I want to go through some of these. We do not have time, unfortunately, to go through all of them. Uh, but if you'd like, you can talk to me later. We can go through as much as you want. Um, but here we have this church, and this message to this church follows a very similar pattern to all the other messages to the other churches. And uh, so every, every time it says, to the angel of the church in wherever, write this. And then it describes Jesus somehow. And most of the descriptions are descriptions that come straight from the vision that John has already had of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, of this one who looks like a, um, a son of man who is uh, walking among the lampstands. And yeah, this whole description of him, that's in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 1. Go over that a lot. Be familiar with that because it'll come back again and again as we go through these letters. Um, and this time what he says is, he describes him as the, the first and the last who died and came to life again. This is going to be important later in this particular message. But this is the way that Jesus is described. The one who's the first and the last. We've already seen... Um, seen that he says in verse 17 of chapter 1 do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and now look i am alive forever and ever and so when talking to this church in smyrna this is how jesus is introduced to them he is the one who is the first and last who died and came to life again um and it's i was telling you the things that all the messages have in common. So it describes Jesus, and then it also gives us uh, what it is that Jesus knows about his church. Because remember, the lampstands are representing the churches. And uh, this is what he says in verse 20 of chapter 1. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so here he is walking among the lampstands as one who, uh, like that is just an image of for us to know that Jesus knows his church. And so with each letter, with each message to these churches, he starts with something that he knows about them, about who they are and what they're going through. And, uh, and then he usually will talk about things that they are getting right and maybe things that they're getting wrong. Although, depending on the church, Sometimes there's not so much they're getting right, and sometimes there's not so much they're getting wrong. Um, This one in Smyrna is actually a church where he does not mention anything they're getting wrong, which is unusual. Most of the time he does, and next week we'll get more of that. But for, for this week, this is a message of encouragement to a church that is experiencing uh, difficulty. And this is, goes back to some of what we talked about at the very beginning with the book of Revelation, of people who are experiencing an increase in persecution and who are um, dealing with persecution on one side and temptation by all of the culture around them on the other side. And the question is, is it worth it to stay faithful to Jesus? Is it worth it to continue living as a Christian in the midst of all the difficulties and in the midst of all the temptations, 
And, of course, the message throughout Revelation is, yeah, it's very much worth it, even when it doesn't seem like it in the moment. And that is very much what this message is, is an encouragement. Keep on. You're, you're getting things right. You're doing things uh, that are good, and keep it up. Do not give in. Um, and so, oh, and then at the, the very end, then he always has uh, kind of these two additional messages. One, talking about the one who is victorious, the one who overcomes, the one who wins. You know, what is it that will be their reward? And it's always some connection to something that is coming in the new creation. And, um, and then he also always says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Same way every time. And so even though... This is a message to the church in Smyrna, sure. But it's also a message to every church insofar as, uh, you know, if the shoe fits kind of thing. So, um, so now, about some of these references. I mentioned the first and last who died and came to life again, pointing us uh, to Jesus himself as the one who is giving this message to this church. What is it that he knows about the church? And what is it? What he knows is he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. What in the world is that talking about? How can they be poor and rich at the same time? This is actually interesting. There's, um, this is something we'll see later in this message, but in all through the book of Revelation is there is this, uh, the, the book of Revelation is called Revelation because it is a revealing, Right? And so uh, what is being revealed here is there's one way that things appear, but there's another way that they really are. And so this whole idea of appearances can be deceiving, or as the old Transformers cartoon used to say in the 80s, more than meets the eye. That one doesn't do anything for you. That's fine. It helps me. So... (laughs) But appearances can be deceiving. And so the things might appear one way, but actually be something else. And so right here, he says, you are poor. And yet, like, I know that, that, that you're, you've got these afflictions. I know you've got this poverty. And yet, that's not how you really are. That's how things appear on the outside. But really, you're rich. Later, he's going to say to another church uh, that, yeah, you think you're rich, but really, you're poor. And uh, both times... It has to do with uh, whether we're talking about treasures on earth or treasures in heaven, right? Isn't that what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what he's talking about here. He's saying, I know that you don't have many treasures on earth. And so people might look at that and start feeling bad about that and be like, oh, this is terrible. We, we don't have these earthly possessions. And he says, but, but I also know that you do have treasures in heaven, that you are rich. Um, there's a part in Colossians where Paul says, you know, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I just picked that one from a lot of places where Paul talks about the riches of uh, the knowledge of Christ that is in direct contrast to the riches of the earth, which Jesus says, yeah, moths and vermin destroy, thieves break in and steal. That stuff is not secure. The, the treasures in heaven, that is what's really secure. So he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What was that? So here we have another one, right? This is another appearance that can be deceiving. Uh, there are people who say that they're Jews, but they're not really Jews. Actually, I'll tell you what they are. They're a synagogue of Satan. And you go, that's horrible. So, so what do we have here? A bunch of Satan worshipers who are lying to people and telling them they're Jewish? Is that what this is? It's kind of what it sounds like, right? It's not what it is. <laughs> so what's happening in this uh, place and time is you have people who are uh, facing persecution, but the empire of Rome, who was persecuting people, if you're not praying to uh, the Roman gods, if you're not offering sacrifices, you're not eating the food, sacrificed to idols, that kind of thing, if you are not participating in kind of Roman, uh, the Roman way of doing things, especially when it comes to religious practice, then they're going to come down on you. Except they did have a few kind of loopholes where there were some religious exceptions. And uh, the Jewish people were kind of an exception to that. And so what you have, though, is you have people who are now worshiping this Jewish Messiah of Jesus. And then people are coming uh, from you know, the Roman uh, state and saying, hey, you got to be worshiping the you know, Roman gods and doing things this way. And they say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We should be exempt because we're worshiping Jewish Messiah and, you know, Judaism, that's all protected under this exemption thing. And so we shouldn't be facing that persecution, right? And they'd say, well, I don't know. Let's go check with your Jewish neighbors. And they would check with them and say, are these people Jewish? And they're like, no, they're not Jewish. They're worshiping this guy that we don't think is the Messiah at all. And so, uh, effectively handing them over for persecution. This is uh, understandable from everybody's perspective, but Jesus calls it out as this is a synagogue of people who are supposed to be following along the whole story from Genesis all the way through to Jesus to the point that they would recognize him when they came. This is one of the big problems that we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is, are the people who knew the Old Testament really well, how every bit of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. This is what he talks about over and over again, is how I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Uh, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he shows them how everything in the Bible is talking about him. The whole of it has all been preparing the way for Jesus. And so they know this all really well, and then he shows up, and they're like, mm, no. And not because, all right. All right. <laughs> but it's not because uh, they don't know the information. It's because their hearts aren't willing to accept it. And it is in this uh, way 
of going about things. This is why Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. It is not because they are gathering together to worship Satan. It is the same way that Jesus refers to Peter as Satan. When he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. These are people who are seeking after human concerns. They're not following after the ways of God. And therefore, calls them a synagogue of Satan. I mean, that is one of those things. If you, if you were to guess, if you didn't know the story, and you were to guess that Jesus called one of his disciples Satan, you'd probably guess Judas, right? But it's Peter. <laughs> and it's because in that moment, that is what he was doing. Um, the good thing is, that apparently does not seem to be a permanent thing, where he identifies him as Satan now and forever kind of thing. It was in this moment you are uh, showing where your concern is, and it doesn't line up with my concerns. It doesn't line up with the concerns of God. It actually lines up with the same kind of temptation that Satan was offering at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Same kind of thing here. This is what's going on. People who say they're Jews, but they're not. If they were uh, truly accepting of uh, the tradition that had come down to them, if they were truly uh, accepting of all that the scriptures had spoken to, they should be accepting of uh, not only Christians, but Jesus himself. Okay. Then we get into the weirdest part. Where he says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. If we do not know that this is referencing something, then we'd probably be on the lookout for this 10-day period where this is going to happen, right? This, this is a reference. Uh, anybody know what it's a reference to? You might even have it as a footnote in your Bible, depending on your translation. This has taken us back to the book of Daniel. One of the things you will notice throughout the book of Revelation is Rome is talked about a lot. But it's not called Rome. It's called Babylon. And it's, John is talking uh, to these churches. They get, okay, it gets tricky when we're talking about John talking or Jesus talking because it's Jesus talking through John anyway. Uh, but to these churches, as though they are currently in exile, just like the people uh, in the Old Testament when they were out of the homeland and they were in exile in Babylon. They're living under a foreign uh, government and a government that sees things very differently than the way that, uh, that they have been taught as far as the ways of God. And so the question is, how are you to live in such an empire? And uh, there seems to be a lot of common things that go on between Rome and Babylon to the point that he just refers to it as Babylon over and over again. So when we get to this part, the devil puts some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. It's like, well, this sounds horrible on the one hand. On the other hand, if you go back to Daniel... Daniel chapter 1, you might remember there's this time where, um, oh, I should have bookmarked this. 
there was this time where uh, they were they had been brought into Babylon, and they're being told to conform to all the Babylonian ways, and uh, given this royal food and wine, and verse verse eight in chapter one. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Uh, and so then. Verse 12, Daniel says, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Okay. So apparently what Jesus is telling the church in Smyrna is there's going to be something similar to that. That basically God has said, here's what you are to do with Daniel and his friends. Here's, they were still under these uh, very strict dietary regulations. This is how God says you're supposed to eat. Then they go to Babylon. Babylon says, no, you're going to eat our stuff. And they're like, that's not the stuff that God's. So what do you do? And they said, give us 10 days. Test us. Let us continue to stay faithful to our God and see, uh, see how we turn out on the other side of this. And so they did. And this seems to be the same kind of thing as what the church in Smyrna is going to go through. Uh, there's going to be a period of time where the question is, you, you can't do both. You can't stay faithful to God and also do the things the Roman way. So what are you going to do? There will be a uh, period of time where it is important for you to stay faithful. In fact, not only stay faithful, but it continues and says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, I mean, what is that referencing, right? Be faithful even to the point of death. There are multiple times in the book of Daniel where people had to uh, say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go along with your Babylonian ways. Even when the result of that was, well, then I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Or, well, then I'm going to throw you into a den of lions. In what looked like absolute certain death. And the whole point was, they were still faithful, even to the point of death. And yet, in both cases, they didn't die. And of course, what this really points us to, though, is Jesus, who was faithful, even to the point of death, and did die. And yet, that's not the end. That he uh, has overcome and conquered death. This is where it comes back to the description of him at the beginning. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. That it's in Jesus that we believe that death is not the end. That there is uh, a life with him that takes place on the other side of death. And this is where he says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you 
life as your victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians 9, It says, uh, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And that crown that will not last, you get these, you know, the laurel wreath thing that you put on your head, and it's like, yay, that's great, I won. And how long does it last? Not very long. And yet, people devote their lives to all this extensive training to get that thing that does not last. Treasures on earth. But what he says is, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. There'll be a lot more about crowns as we go forward into uh, the rest of the letter of Revelation. Um, But for now, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The message is to be faithful. It says at the very end, you know, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death we find out later in Revelation 20 and 21 is the lake of fire. We'll get more into that when we get there. The point is, yes, we die here now, but we are raised to life again, not hurt by the second death. But it says that's the one who is victorious. Who's victorious? How is it that you are victorious in this life and in this way? What is it that we are to do? I'm tempted to just end right here. Be faithful, even to the point of death. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And when we say, but, but even when my spirit is willing, my flesh is weak. Now what? That's when we realize that Jesus is the one who is faithful. He is the one who is victorious on our behalf. And that it is in trusting in him that we even have a clue what it means to be faithful. And it's in trusting in him, even when all the voices of the rest of the world are shouting different directions to us. That we can not only know, uh, know the way to go, but have the uh, strengthening and the encouragement to continue to follow him. And it'll take encouragement. As Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. We are not naturally inclined to deny ourselves. We're not naturally inclined to take up our cross. We're not naturally inclined to follow him. And yet, this is why he says, I know what's going on with you. And he gives this message of encouragement to keep on keeping on. Knowing that he knows what he's talking about, and in the end, it will be worth it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.